Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and thank you for listening to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today, you're listening to Pastor Stephen's sermon out of Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, and it's titled, Living Out Our Faith. If you have a Bible today, please take it open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and uh, we're going to be looking at verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. And you hear that, and you're like, well, those are just four verses. Please hear me. They're going to be hard to swallow. They're going to be incredibly... There were folks in the first service that were, they were like, please stop. Please stop. And I'm like, nope, nope, you've already come. You're getting both barrels. But we've been walking for 48 weeks now through the book of Romans. Verse by verse, you know, it's a series entitled A Life Transformation Paul wrote this, and truly, if there was ever anyone that would be a poster child for transformed lives, it would be Paul, because he truly was changed because of Jesus Christ. The first 11 chapters, he's been talking about doctrine. He's been talking about who we are in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 12, remember I told you, he kind of took a little turn. And in chapter 12, he's saying, okay, now because we're in Christ, this is who we are to be. It's no longer necessarily dealing with doctrine. Now we're talking about duty. That because of who we are in Christ, this is how we are to behave in Christ. And if you're like me, you're kind of like, can we go back to the doctrine thing? Can we go back to, you know, chapters 1 through 11? That was rich, that was good, that was strong. No, no, now he's giving us the practical. That if your doctrine does not bring about a life change, if you're no different than the person who is not in Christ, then please hear me, you might have philosophy, theology, but you don't have doctrine because doctrine is the basis that a a changed life is built upon. And we know it's all about Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to talk about living out our faith in relationships. That because we profess Christ as Savior and Lord in our own lives, that the way that we respond to people ought to be different than anyone else. Again, he's building off of this whole change and this whole transformation thing. And so let me ask you this morning, what is it that makes you different as a Christian than somebody out there who is not a Christian? You would say, well, the fact that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. And that is a great, great, great promise that we have because of Jesus. But hear me, it ought to be so much more than that. So with that being said, let's see how we ought to relate to people. It ought to be different. He says in verse 14, of Romans chapter 12. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And you're already thinking, all right, that's it, I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah, yeah. Well, hang on, it's going to hit harder. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Now the word humble in my translation, it actually means lowly. 
with the lowly. So it's not talking about you know, exalting self-humbleness. No, it's talking about the low in spirit or the lowly. Do not be wise in your own opinion. I, I like how he wrote that. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So here we are, and Paul is saying again, that because we are in Jesus Christ, the way that we relate to other people should be different than those that are not Christians. And it's going to be so heavy that he says, I'm going to give you five directives of handling relationships through Christ in you. Okay? Five. Really, he gives seven. I didn't think you could handle seven. So we're dealing with five, and then in two weeks, not next week, next week my good friend Kevin Ham's going to be here, a great friend of our church. Every summer he comes to the beach, and uh, he hangs out with us for a few weeks. He'll preach next Sunday. Every time I talk to him, he says, now you guys still got that wooden preaching porch, right? And it's no longer the concrete stage. And I'm like, yes. And he said, okay. I look forward to preaching. But in two weeks, we're going to come back, and here's what we're going to talk about, how to deal with mean people. You might want to invite a guest <laughs> to come with you. Five relationship directives of how we as followers of Christ should treat other people. Are you ready? Here's the first one. Bless those who hurt you. Bless those who hurt you. Yes, there are people out there that even when you become a Christian are going to hurt you. They themselves may even profess to be a Christian. There are people out there that are going to hurt you, who are going to treat you with anger. They're going to treat you with hostility. And the Bible says that when they do that, that you and I are to do what? Are to bless them. Be a blessing to them. Bless your enemies. Maybe you've heard it that way. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and you say, well, thank goodness I don't have any enemies. Maybe you can identify with a little girl who wrote this letter to her pastor. Dear pastor, yesterday I was in service and I heard you say, bless your enemies or be kind to your enemies. I'm six years old. I don't have any enemies. But next year I'll turn seven and I'm hoping to get some. <laughs> Love, Amy. <laughs> Chances are, unlike that little girl, you probably have a few enemies. If you don't have a few enemies, I would like to say that something is probably wrong. Because there are always going to be people out there, they don't like the way you act. They don't care for what you live. They don't appreciate what you believe. There are always going to be folks out there that don't like it. That you don't dress up in a suit and tie and you don't wear shiny shoes. There will be folks out there that don't like the particular translation of Bible that you use. There will be folks out there that don't like the way you grow or cannot grow your hair. I mean, I mean I'm sorry. I, I, I feel like I'm in a counseling appointment right now. I'm just saying there are always folks out there who don't care 
for what we believe and how we live. Basically, verse 14 is telling us that when those people hurt you, bless them. Bless them. Notice he gives a negative comment or a negative com- command and a positive command. What's the negative command? When they hurt you, when they curse you, you do not curse them. Isn't it just something kind of natural when somebody hurts you, you want to curse them? Or, or let me, can I put it in panhandle vernacular? You want to cuss them out. Sometimes people will ask me, Pastor, what does the Bible say about cursing and using curse words with other people and stuff like that. There are many different passages that we can deal with, but it says right here, it says do not curse people. God is the only one that has the right and the authority to damn anyone. It's not you or I. God is the only one that has the right and the authority to send anyone to hell. You and I do not have any business telling anyone that's the place they should go. I'll never forget several years ago when I was in college and, and we would go to the mall, a roommate in mine, and we would witness to people in the mall and we would come out and there was a guy, he was sitting on a motorcycle and he was the leather to the T, except no sleeves and he had tats everywhere. And that was before common people got tats. Before dentists rode motorcycles and were all tattooed. This guy's sitting there, and I just walk up to him, and I said, Sir, can I ask you, if you were to die tonight, do you know that, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And he turned to me, and this is exactly what he said. You go to hell. And I said, well, I can't. Because <laughs> Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. But I'll get in my car, and I'll go back to campus right now. Who are we? Who are we? God's the only one. The Bible says you should not curse anybody. Instead, we are to bless them. The word bless here literally means good word. That when people are mean to you and people curse you, you should speak a good word about them. Even when they hurt you. It means more than just saying God bless you when they sneeze. It means you say something good about them even when they've said something ugly about you. I had a lady in my last church who was so good at that. She was always saying positive, uh, kind words about everyone. About everyone. Matter of fact, one day one of her friends said to her, Sue, you're always so positive. You always say good words about people that I think you could even say a good word about the devil. And she thought for a moment and she said, well, you got to give it to him. He's always on the job. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, right. You and I are to be just like her. That's what the word bless means. It means to say something good about them. You say, well, that's hard for me because I'm human. Hello? Aren't we all? Isn't it hard for all of us? And maybe you would even say, well, human nature says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. No, human nature doesn't say that. Human nature says this, you poke out my eye, I'm poking out both your eyes. Human nature says, you knock out one of my uh, teeth, I'm knocking out your whole mouthful. 
That's human nature. Human nature is retaliation with interest. But notice, Jesus comes along though, and Jesus sets it completely opposite. You go to Luke chapter 6, and in Luke chapter 6, Jesus comes along and he basically says this, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Now, I want us to look at some of those verbs this morning, church. First of all, is there anybody who's your enemy? Love them. Is there anybody that hates you? Do good for them. Is there anybody that has been cursing you? You're to bless them. Is there anybody who has mistreated you? You're to pray for them. And then Jesus says, I'll just ratchet it up a little bit more. He says, if you do good only to those people who do good for you, you have no credit. He said, even the pagans do that. And so human nature says, all right, you did this to me, then I'm going to do this to you, and I'm going to pay you back, and I'll pay you back with interest. What you did, I'll do more of. And then Jesus comes along, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not equal retaliation. It's no retaliation. It is you blessing them instead of hurting them. And I know they've been unkind to you. I know they've hurt you. I know that you have every reason to be unkind and to curse them. And you but give me one reason why in the world should I show kindness to an enemy why in the world should I show mercy to someone who's cursed me because Jesus did it for you he did it for you and he did it for me so you're in Christ you're going to bless those who hurt you but then there's a second directive you're going to be sensitive to others. Look, look there with me in verse 15. He says in 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. So if you follow this rule, you're always going to be sensitive to the feelings and the emotions of other people. And again, that is counter-cultural. Counter-cultural. Because culture and even the flesh says this, I've got to look out for myself, right? I've got to be true to number one. I've got to take care of me. I've got to protect myself. I can't, I've got to be careful now. If somebody treats me one way, I'll treat them the other other be true to my own feelings I read this and I'm like rejoice with those that rejoice I can do that one don't we like rejoicing with those who rejoice the world says this the world says if you laugh the whole world will laugh with you but if you cry you'll cry alone but rejoicing with those that rejoice that's tough How's that tough? Because what happens a lot of times, we become so self-focused, we become so inward that others will be rejoicing. Why do people normally rejoice? Because something good has happened to them and they'll be rejoicing and all of a sudden we will sit there and here's the way that we will respond. That should have happened to me. I'm not rejoicing, I'm jealous. I'm envious. Well, I know them and I know me and that should have been mine. Now rejoice with those who rejoice. But then look at the other side of the coin. Weep with those that weep. 
It means that when you find someone that is really hurting and, and maybe you're feeling great, you don't expect them to adjust their mood to you, right? No, it is real love. Remember, he has been saying over and over, the reason why folks out there are going to want what we in here have, the reason why folks are going to be, uh, they're, they're going to be open to hearing about the goodness and the grace and the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and hearing about your life that has been changed is because of the way that we love them. And real love says, no. No, it's not about you adjusting yourself to me. It's about me adjusting myself to you. I'm going to be sensitive to your feelings. Now, let me make an exclusion. You and I both know some people and they are unhappy all the time. They are chronic sad sacks. And they are moaners and groaners, and they are unhappy about everything and anyone. It doesn't mean you become like them. The Bible is saying, it's talking about people who have real reasons to mourn and be sorrowful. That those are the kind of folks that we relate to. And let's just stop and say, you know, you've got to be a real friend to be able to cry with someone. We all go through times in life where there are tears that are shed. You may even find yourself in one of those times right now where you're like, it seems as though I'm crying more than I am rejoicing. It seems as though the last several days and weeks and months, it's been nothing but mourning. I want to share with you a beautiful scripture in Psalm 56 verse 8. Maybe you've never seen this scripture before, but it's a beautiful principle about tears. Listen to what Psalm 56 8 says. The psalmist is praying, and he says, Oh, Lord, you remember my wanderings, and then listen to this. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not all written in your book? In other words, my tears are written down in your book. It's like God has this little receptacle in heaven, a little bottle for each and every one of us. And when he weeps, and when, and when we weep tears of pain, it's as if God takes those tears and he puts them in the bottle, and listen to me, and he treasures them and he cherishes those tears. We sing songs that go something like this. He sees every tear that falls. There's not one tear that has gone unnoticed. The first church that I ever pastored uh, in North Mississippi, West Corinth Baptist Church, we lived in the parsonage. And um, I, I kid you not, the address of the parsonage, it was on Confederate Street. We would have folks that would show up just randomly in our yard. Jennifer will tell you it's true. Randomly in our yard and they would be out there with a metal detector and they would be digging holes in the yard looking for Civil War artifacts. And so I'd go out, hey, what's, how's it going? You know, used to, I'd go out there when it first started and be like, hey, what are you doing? And then I'm like, oh, this is just what happens. And I walk out there and say, what are you looking for? I remember talking to a guy one day, and I said, hey, so what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for, I didn't even know this was a thing, maybe you did, 
a tear vial. A tear vial. Here's what would happen during the Civil War. Wives and mothers, they would take a little vial and they would catch the tears that they cried when they were praying for their husbands and their sons in battle. And then they would send it to them. They would seal it some way with a cork or something. And then they would send it to them. And so here's that soldier in extreme difficult moments, in extreme times of loneliness, and they would pull out that tear vial and they would be reminded there is someone that is praying for you. There is someone that is crying tears. And they would cherish and value the tears that the loved one had cried for them. Or friend, I I'm telling you, according to Psalm 56, it's like God has this tear vial in heaven for all of us. And for those of you who have wept literal rivers of tears because of pain in your life and heartache in your life, I want you to know not a single tear has been wasted. Not a single tear has been lost. They are precious to God and God understands that those tears are a result of a broken heart. And so this verse is saying that when you love somebody and they're hurting, you ought to hurt with them, right? You ought to share in their burdens. In the temple, during Jesus' day, the temple there in Jerusalem, it was always so busy. And it was interesting because they would always have the folks go in one hallway and exit out another hallway or another side of the temple. They would enter the temple, the worshipers, through the south, and they would exit out of the temple through the northeastern corner. There was only one exception to that rule. Whenever there was a family that had gone through a genuine time of heartache and sorrow, that family was allowed to walk against the flow of people. They could go in the outdoor and they would go out the indoor. So they would be facing all the other worshipers as they entered and exited the worship in the temple. And you know why they were allowed to do that? So others could share in their pain. And so others could share in their sorrow and the others would actually know that they are, they are dealing with all this pain and this hurt and they were forced to confront the faces of those people that were dealing with the tears and the difficulties. And I just wonder how many times we find ourselves at Highland Park Baptist Church on a Sunday morning and we don't really look into the face or we don't look into the eyes of the person that's seated in the chair in our life group or the person that is seated on our road or the person that we're standing behind in the coffee bar or we get out next to in the parking lot and we just sort of pass them by and we're not aware of the pain and the agony that they may be suffering. The Bible says we're to weep with them. We're to mourn with them. We're to to cry. That's what a true friend does. I heard a granddaughter tell this story one time. She said, the true story, she said that her grandmother had a friend that died. 
And so she was wanting to comfort her grandmother, and she goes over to her grandmother's house, and she's there comforting her grandmother, and she says, listen, I know that your friend died, and I know that you're going to miss her because she was such a great friend. And here's what the grandmother said. The grandmother said, well, I'm going to miss her, but she wasn't a friend. And she said, what do you mean she wasn't a friend? You guys would laugh together all the time. You guys would talk together all the time. You, you, you guys spent a lot of time together. And she said, it's true. We did laugh together and we did talk together, but she wasn't a friend. She was only an acquaintance. She said, why was she only an acquaintance? And here's what the grandmother said. Because even though we laughed together, even though we talked together, we never cried together. True friends always share tears. Friend, I want you to hear me. You may be blessed with a lot of acquaintances, but you are blessed indeed if you have a friend with whom you can share tears. And so the Bible says rejoice with those that rejoice, weep with those that weep. It means this, I'm not focused on how I feel, I'm not focused on my emotions, I'm not focused on what I want, that instead I'm extremely sensitive to the others that are around me, right? I am blessing those who may hurt or curse me. Now, I mean, we can stop and go home because it's just going to get harder. How about I give you the third one? Mm, I I like this one because I was thinking of some of you when I wrote it. (laughs) Be willing to sacrifice your need to be right. Mm. Be willing to sacrifice your need to be right. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. He's talking about harmony. Harmony. Now, I want to ask you a question. I want you to respond by lifting your hands. Now, there are a lot of times I ask you questions that I really don't want you to respond to, and some of you haven't gotten that down yet, but I do want you to respond to this one. I don't need, I don't need a vocal response. You just simply lift your hands. Do any of you in this room know someone that has to be right all the time? Okay. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Raise two hands if you need to. They're just always right. Always right. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think anybody in this room that raised their hand thought of you? I I, I doubt very few, if any of you raised your hand, you're like, yep, that's me. (laughs) Always got to be right, no matter what, that's me. No, probably nobody did that. Well, friends, the Bible says a good relational principle is that you live in harmony with all different kinds of people. That you set aside your desire to always be right. I had a guy come up to me after the first service and he said, Pastor, I got a question for you. He said, what if you are always right? Here's my response to him. Go ask your wife. She'll let you know. Right? Right? It's amazing to me. And let's bring it contextually even into our world today. I'm flat blown away by how foolish are the arguments that people will get into on social media platforms. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. A very seldom I ever post or comment on anything, but I read all the foolish stuff that y'all write. 
I just shake my head. I'm like, my goodness. The other day I'm sitting there and, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking through this and I'm reading something and thankfully this was not a member of our church, okay? Because we'd be doing church discipline this morning if this were a member of our church. And they were in an argument, they were in an argument with someone else online about which is truly greater, eating shrimp or oysters. And they were getting angry. And they were taking quotes. I always love that when people, well, you know, I've been thinking about this. And then they post something on there. And you're like, you didn't think about that. You cut and pasted. And they're putting stuff on there about this and about that. And then you're saying some curse words. And then other people are jumping in and offering their opinions and all this. And I'm like, at the end of the day, does it even matter? Are you kidding me? Hear me, guys, hear me, that if you truly have been transformed by Jesus, if you truly are loving, if relationally you treat people different, then what happens is you say me winning the argument over something foolish is not worth me sacrificing a bridge or the opportunity to earn the right to be heard and tell them of something that does matter, Jesus will save your soul. And we get online and we sit there and I want to endorse this candidate and I want to tell you how sorry this candidate is and this candidate's the bomb and this candidate's got all this shady stuff. Let's just be truthful. You ought not hang your coat on any of them. 2,000 years from now, does it matter if you finally get someone to vote the way that you voted if they die and go to hell and you've, lu- you've ruined your witness because you acted so foolish and let's just be honest, so stupid publicly that people are like, I don't want to hear a thing they have to say. Sorry. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, what if I'm right? Set it aside. Set it aside. Instead, understand the brain and the mouth that you have been given by God have been given so that you might make much of Jesus and not win the debate. My goodness, everybody in this world knows shrimp are a lot better than oysters. (laughs) Why even have the debate? I've tried them. I've, my, my, my friend, Pastor Johnny Hunt, loves oysters. He's like, you just got to have them cooked, and you got to have them with some cheese on them, and you got to have them with some salt. And I'm like, if I got to doctor them up that much, I don't want them. At the end of the day, it's still a loogie on a plate. Let's just be honest. <laughs> we might edit that one out of TV right there. I don't know. Is that over the top? A little too much. <laughs> who cares? No, no, who cares, right? Who cares? So I'm going to set aside me being right. I'll sacrifice that because I want to show the love of Christ. Mm. Let's keep going. Number four, I'm going to be kind to everyone. I mean, we, we could have made one big point out of all of these, couldn't we? Look at what he says in verse 16. He says in 16, associate with the humble. The word humble there, again, it's talking about lowly, the lowly. Friend, friend, let me just say this. Did you know in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's absolutely no room whatsoever for spiritual snobbery? 
That there is no way that you can be a part of the body of Christ and you can say, I am better than someone else. That there are certain kind of people that I don't want coming to my church. That there is a certain kind of culture that is better than another. There's a certain kind of skin color that's better than another. That there's a socioeconomic level that's better than another. There's an educational that is more important to God. Friend, listen to me. That is totally wrong and that is sinful against the Holy Ghost. God. And G- James talked about it. Jesus' half-brother. Listen to what he wrote. This is in James 2, verses 1 through 4. I want you to hear what he says. He says, My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, do not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. Now, contextually, let's put it the right way. Today, some of the richest people in the world be wearing shabby clothes. But he's talking about our view and perception of people. If you show special attention to a man wearing fine clothes, and you say, here's a good seat for you, but you say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James is saying this is against the very character and the very nature of God. How is it? He loves all people. Hear me, folks. Jesus didn't die on one cross for one culture and another cross for another culture. He didn't die on one cross for one skin color and another cross for another skin color, okay? He didn't die on a cross for the guys who have their PhD. He didn't die on a cross for somebody who dropped out of middle school. He didn't die on a cross for the guy who has millions in his bank account. And he didn't die on a cross separately for the guy who has nothing in a bank account. He died on one cross for the world. Mm. There is no way that you can look down your nose at somebody else and say you're not my kind of person. If you ever think that for one moment, you've just committed a terrible sin, not against them, but against God. And as the old country preacher used to say, at the cross, the ground is level for all. And let me say this, I'll say it one time in case you may be new around here. There is only one kind of person that we will allow to come to Highland Park Baptist Church. Are you ready? There's only one kind of person that is allowed to come to Highland Park Baptist Church. Sinners. Saved sinners and not yet saved sinners, but only one kind of person can come. And that is the person that needs the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if you think that there's someone else that is not good enough to come and you're too good to associate with them, you've just violated God's Word. Be kind to everyone. I'm going to set aside my need to be right. I'm going to be sensitive to others. I'm going to bless those who hurt me. Here's the final directive. I'm going to be humble. And the word humble here, it does mean uh, not being self-absorbed, but lowering your thought of yourself. Verse 16, look at what he says. Do not be wise in your own mind. That means self-centered. Do not be self-centered. Verse 16. Do not be high-minded. That means conceited. So he's saying, do not think more highly of yourself than, than, than other people. And I would say this, a true characteristic of yourself is you don't take yourself too seriously. That you know that you're a sinner. 
that you know that you don't have a life that is perfect, that you know that you can't save yourself, right? That you know that even though there might be someone else that is struggling with a particular sin that you would never struggle with, only by the grace of God, it is not you. And while their sin flavor may not be your sin flavor, we all have a sin flavor. Humble yourself. You know, God's got a way of humbling in us, doesn't he? Several years ago, the governor was coming to one of, uh, one of our elementary schools. Uh, they were having a, a service, and he was there making a, a pit stop, and he was going to speak, and the news and all that kind of stuff were there. And they asked me, because of our involvement in the community, they asked me if I would come and say a few words and kind of introduce. And they even said, hey, would you say uh, like an invocation? Would you say a prayer? And, Absolutely. I'd be happy to do that. And he was coming that afternoon, and um, that morning I had a funeral. So I had my funeral suit on, dark blue, tie, shiny shoes. Some of you would say, you look like a pastor. Um, and, uh, and I didn't have time to go and change. It was so hot. The sun was out and had my glasses on. And so I went down there to the school and I was just standing around like everybody else waiting for the governor to come, waiting for the governor to come. And, you know, they're always on their own schedule and just waiting, waiting. There are secret service people that are all throughout the school, out there, out front and everything. And all of a sudden, uh, one of the teachers who goes to our church came up, came up and said, Pastor Stephen, for a moment, I thought you were one of the secret service. You look like them. The dark suit, the glasses, and I, and I started watching them, and I noticed that they all stood a certain, certain way, and, you know, and uh, every now and then they'd talk into their watch, and, um, and, and so I just kind of eased over towards the front of the stage area, and I just stood there like that as well. <laughs> every now and then I'd say a word or two into my watch, and, and I'm like, my goodness, these people actually think I'm secret service. I'm on his protection detail, and you know, and we were waiting, we were waiting, and, and all of a sudden, there's this little boy who comes up to me, and he says, he says, excuse me, mister, can I ask you a question? He was real serious, and I'm like, he really believes I'm Secret Service. And, can I ask you a question? Do you know when the governor's going to get here? And I'm like, uh, yes, young man, the governor will be here at 1320 hours, and you know, and, and you know, and I'm, I'm like, you know, you need to move away because I've got serious business to do, and he backed back, and he goes... Well, thank you, Pastor Stephen. I appreciate, I appreciate that. <laughs> Man, God's got a way of humbling in us, doesn't he? Mm. We can only be who we are. We can't be anybody else. That's why it says, don't be conceited, don't be too proud. Understand this, God made you in a certain way. Do you want to get along with other people? If, if you're in Jesus, you should. Do you want to have a healthy relationship in your marriage, and in your family, and in your community, in, in, in your church? Listen to this book. Live. This book, this book is an instruction book on how to live life. It is so practical. If you'll just follow the directions in this book. You know who lived out these principles? Jesus did. Every single one of them. Loved his enemies. Showed kindness to all kinds of people. Jesus spent time with the prostitutes and the publicans and the, 
and the drunkards and the outcast spent time with the common people. The only people that Jesus had trouble with were the religious people. The religious elite. Why did he have trouble with them? Because they thought they were better than everybody else. But the common people loved Jesus. And when Jesus lives in you, you will relate to people the very same way. Hear me. You don't do these things to become a Christian. You do these things because you are a Christian. Your life's been changed. Has your life been changed? Yesterday, um, I was mowing, getting ready to mow my yard. And uh, the last time that I'd, I'd mowed with my mower, uh, the week before, uh, the belt broke that controls my, my deck, you know, the, the blades on my cutting deck. And, uh, and so I knew that I was going to have to replace the belt before I could mow. And so I went down to a, to a, a tractor place and, uh, you know, looked around and found the belt for that particular model of that particular manufacturer and, you know, had the, all that kind of stuff. This is the belt. There was a guy that was working there. And I said, hey, can I ask you, is this the belt that'll fit my mower? Well, do you have this mower? Yes, I do have this mower. And he said, well, yeah, you'd think that belt would fit. I'd go ahead and take that belt. I'm like, well, now what do you mean? He said, well, you never know. I'm like, well, but I looked here in the book that you have here, the book. And he said, yeah, it's supposed to be that way, but I have found that they don't always put the belt on there that it says it's supposed to go on there. What do they do? They just kind of use the belt they may have. Well, how can they do that? I don't know. I just work here. <laughs> but I'd try that one if I were you. Oh, oh, okay. I said, well, I, I appreciate it. And he goes, well, I appreciate you. I'm like, well, 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 thanks. You know, I thought he meant I appreciate your business. And he said, no, I appreciate you. He said, I watch you on TV. And uh, people don't, use, you know, I had a cut T-shirt and was, you know, I did have sleeves on. Every now and then I like to show the guns off, but I had sleeves on. <laughs> Maybe my cap, short, you know. People don't, people look at, they hear the voice and they're like, yeah, yeah. He said, I'll watch you on TV. He goes, every now and then I'll watch you on Facebook. And I said, well, man, I appreciate it. He goes, yep, 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 get lit for Jesus. And I said, yeah, that's me. That's, that's me, you know, kind of. Kind of rethinking that whole statement. Um, and so I took the belt home, and sure enough, it didn't fit. So I had to go back. Found the same guy. Well, we're gonna, maybe we try this one right here. This one might work. He goes, now listen, if it won't, if it won't fit, just, you, might, you might just have to, you might just have to uh, get your screwdriver and just give it a little bit of loving. What he meant was pry the thing until the belt goes on. And uh, I'm like, I don't, I don't know if that's good or not. And so carried that one home. It didn't work. Had to go back a third time. A third time. Matter of fact, I told the young lady at the register the third time. God is my witness. Here's what I said. This belt don't fit. I'll be back to buy a brand new mower. <laughs> but this guy and I, we, we, we had several interactions, several conversations and in one of those conversations, he, he, he said this. He said, well, you know, it, it's like you always say, uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, and of course, I'm thinking, I, I've heard that, but I don't think I've ever said that. 
I've read it on signs and stuff. I don't think I've ever said that. And I even said to him, I'm like, are you, you sure that's me that said that? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You pastor that big church in downtown. And, um, I'm like, no, that's not me. That's not me. Good, good preacher down there, but that's not me. I, 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 I pastor Highland Park. He goes, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that. I know that. And I said, well, do you, do you know any sayings that I say? And, and, and here's what he said. Yeah, I know what you say. You always say, come to Jesus. I didn't say it, but I'm thinking that is a lot better than that first one you gave me credit for. <laughs> that first one's good. A lot of truth in it. Well, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That kind of, kind of follows with this right here. But boy, how much better. Come to Jesus. Paul is saying there's been a radical transformation in our lives because of Jesus that we are being transformed. We're going to speak differently. We're going to respond to people differently. We're, we're going to stop uh, following selfish ambitions and we're not going to allow anything about us to rob the right to be heard. So that we might say, why don't you come to Jesus? He can do for you what he's done for me. Come to Jesus. Now, 2,000 years. Is it going to matter whether you're eating shrimp or oyster? I don't know. You get oysters in the wrong season, it might matter. <laughs> Is it going to matter who you in 2,000 years voted for for president? Now, hey, when we get in voting season, I'll tell you who to vote for. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but will it matter if there was such a change in your life that you said, why don't you come to Jesus? And they say, well, if he can do for me what he's done for you, I'll, I'll come to him. He wants to do that very same thing for you today. Many of you in this room, you already know him as Lord of your life. You know that if today you were to die, you were go to, you'd go to heaven. He's working, he's changing, he's doing a miraculous transformation in you. And maybe today through these words, you've been reminded, maybe even convicted by the Spirit of God. You know, when I'm in Christ, there's nothing, well, let's just say it this way, everything is important. Not to be saved, but because he takes everything and does the supernatural. And then there are some of you in this room that need to hear, come to Jesus. You've been looking for hope in everything else? It can only be found in Jesus. Other things will give you hope for a little while, but they're, they're fleeting, they're passing They'll just be there for a night and then they'll be gone and you'll find yourself back in that valley of brokenness again. Hope only comes through Jesus. 
you're looking for purpose in life. I can't think of a greater purpose in life than I belong to him and I'm going to see how many I can take along with me. The eternal, the supernatural. How about coming to him today? Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. Uh, This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida, and we would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email info at highlandpark.org if you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him. Our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.